0: Hello, and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. I'm so glad you could join us for today's Parent Seminar lesson. This is the first lesson in the Parent Seminar, and it's by Lance Barrett. Today, we're talking about the dignified child. So, we hope that you enjoy this lesson. Get out your notebooks and get ready to dig deep into the Word of God as we look at this first Parent Seminar session, The Dignified Child. Thanks, and enjoy.
1: You might want to write in pencil, there'll be some stuff you want to erase. You. Uh, <laughs> always pencil when I'm talking. I talk. gave <laughs> a hard time about putting that picture of me in there. Because I was shot about 10 pounds off that and covered me with more hair. So, um, Yeah, so about myself, uh, Cam and I, we've been coming to steal our Bible. Well, two stints really. The first stint was easily six, seven years. Uh, I heard the grace message for the first time. Uh, Cami was, let's do this. And I was, let's come back again and see what happens. You know, let's see if uh, what JB's really teaching is worth worth the uh, writing in stone. <laughs> After a second visit, I was ready to write in stone, and so it came. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this might be a little more detailed than you like, but we actually. Uh, we involved with another church and we almost felt like we were in secrets, like we're gonna to go to JB's and, and uh, countryside for a while and then we'll break the news to my family and so for about how long was it long like? It was it was easily two months. It was we go to service at one church and then we drive across town and we go to the other one and of course came like all of our great ideas they come from her. She said, Lance we can't do this anymore. I said. Right, you're right. Uh, her excuse, because she takes after her old man, it was a, it was a fuel issue. Like this is too expensive. <laughs> That's what you're I mean. Uh, so yeah, first in, uh we we're here in Oklahoma uh, six years, and then left for a while and came back and got back in town and it was get back in. So we've been coming to SBC for three plus years. Um, we have three um, wonderful, beautiful children. Uh, Scout is our nine-year-old uh, girl. Uh, Smith, five-year-old boy, and then uh, Eleanor. she's our two-year-old. And so uh, we've been we've been learning to be parents for about nine years now, um, and then have had some wonderful models from older siblings on what it looks like to be a parent. As far as our uh, education, our training background. Uh, I, know, I tell people as I started I started being educated at five years old and haven't stopped since on whatever capacity it looks like. Uh, come from a long line of educators. My grandmother was an educator, uh, and so she really instilled in me a, a love for learning lifelong. Not limited to where you're at, um, what you're doing, or certain contexts. If you're alive and you're breathing, you're learning, and so I'm indebted to her for that, um, and so thankful for it, and so. Kind of today, um, that's kind of the background. Today, what I really want to talk to you about is this idea of uh, treating our children with dignity. And so, if we're going to talk about that, as always, we have to identify what do we even mean by dignity. So, what I want you to, Hunter, is it the arrow?
0: Yeah, you're going to have to turn it on, no problem. I'm 33 going on 90 when it
1: comes to <laughs> technology. My grandpa knew more about technology than I did at 84. Not- Okay, so let's do this. You have your notes there if you want to write it down. I prefer you have it written down. So when you think of dignity or um, let's just say treating, treating your children with dignity, what is your definition or what words come to mind when you think of dignity? Write down a few. Two thoughts there. JB, give me one of your words. What'd you write what down? What uh, about no. uh, valuable? Valuable. you think he. The Image of God. Ah, nice. I see what you did there. That was a softball for me. I appreciate that. Always <laughs> someone <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> playing in the audience. Yeah. Kettle, what'd you get, bud? I put down love. Love. Good. Good. Okay. So there is. There's all kinds of ways to treat our children with dignity right um, what things that I'm going to talk about today the, the proverbs tells us to, to handle things with prudence right we work from we work from what we know to be true and we pinpoint it down to the daily grind right so when I look at um, Andrew Kearns talks about when I look at a dog right you know I, I see a dog I know what a dog is but as I learn to know more about dog, I know its parts, I know what its liver does, I know what a kidney doesn't know how to make it obey, so we're really breaking down with prudence and narrowing down our understanding of what a dog is. So today we're going to talk about um, a dignified child, what it means to be dignified and treating them with dignity, but we're going, to, we're going to look at it in light of three different ways, okay? And so the first way we're going to talk about that is um, looking at a child as an image the second one we're going to talk about is looking at a child as a temple and looking at the child as a person and we're going to talk about that and answer these two questions how are the characteristics of the dignified child described in scripture and how do we treat our children with dignity so we have to identify what dig- dignity looks like and what god actually sees how he sees our children and then once we figure that out right we see that image temple and person then we're going to say okay This is what it could look like. We get a framework of what this could look like in the life of our children in light of curriculum like Hunter talked about in youth group, um, being involved in local body within the walls of our home, that daily grinding it out. So working from big dog to working parts in our lives. So the definition that I'm working from, um, and if you don't write this down, you don't have to, but the definition I'm working from is honorable worthy of esteem or respect, as if seen through the eyes of God. Honorable, worthy of esteem or respect, as if seen through the eyes of God. So let's start with this. I'm gonna tell you a little um, story from scripture. Uh, We see in 2 Samuel. And in this story, this is the story of of David, right? So set the context. David has become king. Uh, Saul has died. Um, David has established, uh, he's established his home in the city of David, or Jerusalem, right? Tyre has sent his stonemasons, sent uh, its lumber and resources so David can build up this city. Well, David's built up the city, and he's looking around, and the ark is not there, right? But he knows where the ark is, so he puts together this procession. Actually, says 30,000 men put together this procession and they go and get the ark, right? And they're making all this noise, it actually describes all the instruments. And so, making all this noise, they walk so many steps, J.B. probably tell you, and they take so many steps and they slaughter, right? They slaughter this animal, offer sacrifice, and they keep going. Well, they get to this certain part, and the ox that are, ca- that are carrying the ark of the covenant stumble right? you All right? Y'all know the story, what happens? What happens? Yeah, he touches it, right? He touches it. And do you remember why why God ends up killing the man that touched the ark? Do you remember? It actually says because of his irreverence, God kills Uzzah. U-Z-Z-A-H is his name, right? He kills him. Well, David, he responds like, I don't like that. I'm angry. And the ark cannot come where I'm going. And so he sends it to to another place. And actually the name of the man is Obed-Edom. He sends it to his home. And in this home, he leaves the ark, and they go back to the city of David. They go back to Jerusalem. And while they're there, David catches words like, Hey, uh, remember where you left the ark? You Remember with Obed-Edom and his household? Things are going really well with them. Actually, they're being blessed tremendously. And so in David's fashion, right, here comes that pendulum back up. It's like, oh, goofed up. Let's go get the ark. So instead of taking all the instruments, and they might have, but the scripture tells us they take a trumpet. If there was ever a louder instrument in all creation, I don't think God made it. The trumpet's the loudest, right? So they're sounding off. And as they enter into the city of David, everyone's attention is on, they know they know the story, they know what's happening, right? David got rid of the ark. God bless, opened Edom's home. David is like, ah, oh, I gotta get it back here. So here comes the ark, they're blowing this trumpet. Well, Michael, this is the wa- um, wife of David and daughter of. Uh, Saul, right, the daughter of Saul, she sees what's happening. Here comes David in this linen ephod. And there's lots of discussion about what the linen ephod could look like. We see it described in a lot of different ways in Scripture. But one of the ways it has been described is almost like an undergarment. Right? Uh, some people get pretty um, um, comical about this, and basically like David wearing whiteies. It's It's not necessarily a garment that the king of israel should be wearing and dancing his off in front of right michael does not like this the wife of the king the princess of the past king she doesn't like this and listen to listen to the dialogue between the two remember we're thinking about dignity here but when david returned to bless his household michael the daughter of saul came out to meet david and said How the king of Israel distinguished himself today? She's being sarcastic, right? She's she's disgusted with him. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, servants' maids, as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. Now listen to David's response, okay? We're thinking dignity. Uh, We're thinking reverence. We're thinking esteem. David says, so David said to Michael, we're in 2 Samuel 6, 21. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me ruler of the people of the Lord over Israel. Kids nowadays call out, I burn, right? Like, hey, you remember, God chose me. He didn't chose a brother of yours, didn't choose a son. God chose me, and he chose me to rule over Israel. And I, he continues on. He says, therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord, verse 22. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Some translations actually say, instead of lightly esteemed, I'll be much more undignified than this. Not that David's not worthy of respect, esteem, to be honored, but dignity always happens through the lens of how God sees us. When we replace ourselves for what God, the authority. I decide what happens, right? If, if Uzzah should die, he should die. If he was a reverent, he was a because I said he was a reverent. But when David gets that out of order, he said, you know what? If this is what you think undignified looks like, I can make myself much, much more undignified than this because God sees me in this way and this is how I see God. And so that's why I tagged that definition there. Um, for dignity, as honorable, worthy of esteem, respect, as if seen through the eyes of God. Because we all see stories, right? Or we all see these stories carry on our lives with friends, family, church members, maybe just out in public, and we see a child, and that child has been elevated to a point of capital R, respect. The world revolves around that child. How can I please? How can I do? How can I make them honorable? Capital H. So when we think about dignity, we're not talking about elevating to our, our children to a place where they're now the circle around the pole and we're worshiping them, right? We are actually seeing them the way God sees them. He sees them as precious. He sees them as valuable. He sees them in the image of God, and he loves them, but it's in the order which God sees them. So does everyone kind of see where we're going to be working from moving forward here? Okay. Any questions about that? No questions? So let's move forward. So, if we're going to answer the question, what does Scripture say about my child? The first thing we're going to talk about is you'll see him as an image, he sees him as a temple, and he sees him as a person. So, write this down here. When you think of our culture and you hear the word image, what do you think of? Hear the word image. What's that? Worldly things? Body. Such Self. As. Yeah. Uh, looks. Clothing. What positions, uh, appearances,
0: how you are perceived, whether it's fake or real. Okay.
1: What else?
0: I think it's social media.
1: Okay. What do you see on social media, love?
2: wants to look good, that's why I don't have any social image, I can't look good. <laughs> <laughs> in person on
1: social media I still don't have hair and I still have a dad body, yeah, so you uh, you yeah. uh, uh, What about you, what do you, think? What, do you think? what do you think of image in our culture? I
2: was thinking really the same thing that
1: they were, the social media is such a big influence of oh, yeah, the images that we put out. Yeah, it's kind of the, the massive thing, right? Excellent. Anybody think of anything um, positive when they think of image? Anything not negatively influencing?
2: Just think of reflection. Oh, okay. Yeah, that works.
1: Anything else? Any other positive terms I think of image?
2: Well, to kind of go with that ambassador. You know, uh, go ahead and talk about you. I mean, we we're called to be an ambassador of Christ. So we, sh- when people see us, <clears throat> or what? I mean, we want them to see this perfect image, but really, what we, what should we want them to see? Mm.
1: Okay. If gotcha. we're we're honest. Okay. Good. 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 I think we'll happen? hit on that on that a little bit, maybe. Maybe. Someone else say something.
2: Another positive thing if you think about image is I do think about teaching my children to care about. Hygiene, the way they present themselves,
1: their modesty. Okay, good. So that comes to mind, too. Um, good. Good. I have to write those things down, because if I don't, we'll be able to refer to them. We'll disappear. So here's here's what I wrote down. Here's kind of what I think about. And all along these same lines, I actually, uh, when I think of social media, um, I think of, Kardashians, right? You can't look or see anything without thinking Kardashians. They're almost synonymous with social media. The Kardashian family, the Jenner family. I think of, first thing I think of the American flag, right? And what it symbolizes and what it stands for. Um, I think of art, you know, the creation of Adam by Michelangelo. You see God reaching out to create Adam. But here's where I want to go with this, okay? And and as I say this, think on it because it, it, it might be a little bit... Um, uh, offensive at first but you have in your handouts there said our children are not original they are unique they are not original they are unique we have all these all of these um, secular ideas coming at us from social media and the world around us like you know you be the best version of you you know you are you are a one-of-a-kind but in that all that language we, we create um, barriers. We get a breakdown in translation, what they really mean. But when we say our children are images, are, uh, they're images, they are not um, they are not. Your children are. our children are not original, they are unique. We can take a look at Genesis. So I, I put in your handouts there, Genesis 127, but I actually want to refer to Genesis 126 and 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. i want to read this over you. And so, if our children are not original, they are unique. Here's why we know that from Scripture. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them so here's the thing that's inherent about something that is an image an image its innate desire is to imitate it does not create original ideas right we are made in the image of God so it's inherent that if our children are images if we are images we always want something to imitate so what we have to ask ourselves as parents is if my child deeply desires something to imitate, what is it that I give them to imitate? Because we know as we send them out in the world, you gotta just listen, right? Some of the first things that came to mind is all of these things that the world's given us, all these secular ideas, it is ready to give them something to imitate. And I just showed you from Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God designed them to imitate something. So if we don't give them something to imitate in our own in our own lives as parents, will they imitate something? Always. They are hardwired to imitate. right? And if we don't give them something to imitate, what are they going to imitate? They're going to imitate social media. They're going to find that value is found in the things that we own, not in our eternal service for the Lord, right? The things found in Scripture. So be thinking as a these next few things I talk about being imitators as parents. That is that's something we've got to do. We have to give them something worthy to imitate. And later on, we'll circle back to that because we'll we'll kind of get down to the grind and say, okay, I'm giving something to imitate. Well, what does that look like exactly? To to further uh, develop that idea, there's this um, this study. Some of you. The to talk five aspects, so some of, some of you men and women in here are about to get fired up. Um, but it's Bill and Barbara Mauser, they created this thing called Five Aspects, and it's by the International Council of Genders and Studies, uh, Gender Studies, and they, they go through Genesis one through three, they go through Proverbs one through nine and 31, and they obviously go through uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, where it talks about God uh, made man in his glory, woman's made in the glory of man. But one of the ways that they describe man and woman is that um, man and woman are both lord and mistresses of the earth. And what does that mean? You know, these are the titles that give them. In Genesis one through three, we see God created this garden, right? And in the garden, it's wild. Right? It's it's not tame. There's there's animals there. There's vegetation there. Man's there, and this thing needs to be tamed. We see, we see uh, minerals or elements that are unrefined, right? That um, then become refined in Revelations. You know, that's, a, that's a whole different conversation we had. But God puts man in there and he says, uh, this is all good. This is all real good. Uh, my said, um, it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He makes animals. Yeah, he makes animals. He makes woman. And how does he make woman? from the rib, right? And so he actually from woman, or from man produces woman after Adam falls into sleep. And the ty- Algebra's called this Lord, um, Lord and mistress of the earth because what God then commands them to do is he commands them to subdue, right? You take something that is uh, wild and untamed and to make it tame. He tells man, hey, one of those things that I want you to do is I want you to name. None of these things have names. You need to give them names. Uh, for women uh, he says hey you're going to help complete him in that way it was not good for man to be alone now as his helper and completer you get to complete him and help him with these tasks but what God is doing there is he's saying I'm a God of order I'm a God um, of, of being a steward right and you guys are going to imitate those things and I'm going to plant it within you just think about our own lives right we imitate this almost out of habit. First thing that you think about whenever you're, like, oh, we're pregnant, remind well, me a kid. JP and I was talking about this morning. What's, what's the grandbaby's name gonna be, right? We think of what is the name going to be. Um, when you think about uh, the things you're going to read, the book, what's the title, right? We go, we have people that explore all over the face of the earth, right? And they wanna find these new regions and these new areas. And the first thing that they do, what's well, the first thing Lewis and Clark did is they explored. They mapped it out. They named it. They are bringing order from disorder. This isn't something that God implanted in man. It's like, you know what? That would be a good quality to have. He said, no, I want man and woman. I want male and female to know intimately what image they are created from. And so this is how they are going to be wired. Go back to my point before is if if our children are hardwired that way, and we don't give them something to imitate that is worth imitating, instead of creating order, instead of creating name and, and, and pleasure before the Lord, what are they going to create? They're going to create disorder, right? They're going to create chaos. They're going to create dysfunction and disobedience, right? So that's the point I'm making there is that our children are not original, they are or unique. And here's how I know it from scripture, because we we're made in the image of God, our children deeply desire to imitate. Are we giving them something worthy to imitate, okay? The next, the next thing I wanna talk about is the idea that our children are, are temples. And remember with prudence, we're approaching this with prudence, right? It's, it's a general idea and we're gonna use scripture to, to fine tune this thing. But whenever you think about, and I say my child's a temple, Here's the question I ask. Is when you think of them, uh, the temple in the Old Testament, what descriptions or stories come to mind? Dennis, <laughs> you know I'm calling you here. You've mm-hmm. been talking about Pharisees, Sadducees, <laughs> Temple. Take up the food. <laughs> 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 uh, no, he's out.
0: <laughs> Sarah, when you think of the temple, Old Testament, what,
2: what do you think of? Um, not necessarily the story, but just the exact descriptions of it holies and that the ark is in there and that you know the rabbi can only go or the priest can only go in there once a year that really special spot and that it's so holy they have to go in with a rope you know in case they die I think all that is really interesting well, it just shows how holy it is
1: absolutely he was very particular yeah. I guess to that point there's a hierarchy I guess in the temple like there's you know, there's different levels, so it must be... Well, I could test my spelling for two hatches. You know. <laughs> spell check it. come on. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you're about uh, that. You <laughs> right on the board for me. <laughs> 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 uh, I I spell it uh, out. <laughs> anything else? Oh, anything else? Protected. Okay, what do you mean?
0: Um. Well, I don't know, there's just so many there's walls there's I mean I don't know it's sacred yeah mm-hmm. oh, like it's not, not, not everybody can go in you yeah, know yeah, and yeah. it's not it's not something that's just open to the public
1: good yeah. good you want think <laughs> of a good story <laughs> there's no public access yeah not yeah. <laughs> even yeah, yeah, an admission fee really that's yeah. That's yeah. yeah any stories that come to mind
0: You mean stories from the about? That involved the
1: temple, yeah.
2: Well, just back when that king went in the time and he wasn't supposed to go in and he got
0: leprosy. Yeah, yeah that's good.
1: Yeah. Good. Uh, king. oh man. Jesus turning over the hey, tables. Remember, 80 priests came in and said, You, are, you are in the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you time. Yeah, yeah. What's that Hatcher? would you say? Oh, oh. oh Jesus turning over the tables. Okay, tell us the New Testament, okay, yeah, yeah, good, good. So, I, I love, I love all these answers, I, I like what Sarah said too, this idea exact, I want to share a story with you, okay, so this is in Second uh, Chronicles uh, 3. Four. 3, 3, 3 through 4, your handouts actually say 4, add 3 to it, yeah, because 3, 3 is where I really want to be. <laughs> And remember, as we read through this, I want you to think of these key keywords. A lot of what you're talking about here is this. it's very exact, right? Um, it's very detailed, very specific about how God feels about His temple. Okay. Does anyone have it that wants to read Second uh, Chronicles 3, 3-11? Read okay. three, three through eleven?
0: I can read it. Three, three through eleven. Now, these are the foundations which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God the length in cubits according to the old standard was 60 cubits and the width was 20 cubits. The porch which was in front of the house was as long as the width of the house 20 cubits and the height 120 and the inside overlaid with pure gold. He overlaid the main room with cypress wood and overlaid it with fine gold and ornamented it with palm trees and chains. Further, he adorned the house with precious stones and with gold and gold from Parvamen. them and he also overlaid the house with gold the beams the thresholds and its walls and doors and he carved the cherubim on the wall now he made the room of the holy of holies its length across the width of the house was 20 cubits and its width was 20 cubits and he overlaid it with fine gold mounting to 600 talents the weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold he also overlaid the upper room with gold then he made two sculptured cherubim in the front of the room or sorry, in the room of the Holy of Holies and overlaid them with gold. And the wingspan of the cherubim was 20 cubits, and the wing of one of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and its other wing of five cubits touched the, wing, uh, touched the wing of the other cherubim.
1: Good stuff there. So you hear the description there, right? Sarah's word really sums it up. She knows how exact it was, right? How particular. We see in that verse 3, it's very detailed. Verse 4, we see beauty and how God is now using uh, telling his people, hey, use gold. All right, those things I talked about in Genesis one through three that were in the garden, man has learned to refine those. Take a little while and he's taming it. He's actually creating beautiful things out of it. Right, and then he goes on to say, and here's how specific I want you to be. Here's the wings. Here's the structure. Here's all the detail. Right, and so we're not quite there yet. Right, because I said, hey, if we need to look at our children as a temple, well, you just told me how God sees the. Temple in the Old Testament, get me there with my children. So then we look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. This is this is one of our two-two verses, right? It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you from God, um, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a the price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Right? That's 19 through 20. So we see this idea in the Old Testament. God created; He had man create this temple, in which Sarah talked about the Holy, Holy is going to dwell, the presence of God is going to dwell in there, and with specificity, detail, and, and very um, diligent instruction, He had them build. We fast forward to the New Testament. I think my child has placed their faith uh, in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and now what dwells within inside them. The Holy Spirit, right? Uh See what's happening here? And actually, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he's talking in light of sexual immorality, right? That's the specific detail there. But if I see my child as a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I know how God sees his temple, does my parenting instruction, does the way I'm parent, reflect that detail? does it reflect how specific God cares about that temple? My child has that Holy Spirit within them. Christ tells him in, um, in the book of John, said, i got to leave you. Trust me, you want this, because that means the helper comes, right? and you're going to need that helper. That helper is in our children, and so whenever I think of, when I think of Scout Denny, and I think of her as the temple, that does, that does involve her hygiene, as Brandon tells us." That does involve um, protecting her, but what we'll talk about later is it involves things much deeper than that. If, if I believe that to be true, I relentlessly, faithfully, diligently give them the word of God. Talk about the things that matter. I would detail and discipline raise up my children, right? And so, that's why I talk about there. And we should faithfully and diligently care for the temple and our children. We see that, I uh, put Proverbs 8:17 down. It says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Some translations say, seek me early. It's this idea from the onset, almost immediately. But also the idea of doing it strenuously. <laughs> this whole idea that we can raise our children and it, and it should be easy. Um, or it should be a barrel of laughs. It, it's, it's not true, right? I mean, people that have done it, raised them sent them down to the home. I mean, I'm sure Hunter wasn't a barrel of laughs to raise so, yeah. He barely turned out. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so you get the point there. I right? see our children as a temple. It, it's going to be work, right? And guess what? The temple has got to be maintained at times. We can't raise up something beautiful and say, all right, you're a teenager now, I'm out. And No one has time for junior high, <laughs> junior hires. No one has time for teen. No, no, no. That temple has the Holy of Holies in it. It has the Holy Spirit within, and it is our duty as parents to care for that temple. So let's move on here. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is our, is our child as a person. Okay, this kind of seems like, all right, Lance, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. But what I want to ask you is, what are some characteristics when you think of just people in general, right? What's, what are some qualities as people who are alive? What did they share? What are those what are qualities if you were to go to China, if you were to go to Russia, you going to go to Norman. Even people in Norman would have these qualities, right? Especially, make to say. <laughs> 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 um.
2: People have minds and emotions and those kind of things. Yeah. Yes. Bodies What's
0: that? Bodies, physical bodies. they all have a desire to find a purpose. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Desire of community. Eat. What's that? Eat. Good. Well you can be fired up talking about that. Uh, thoughts on that. You see all these things, right? Emotions, bodies, our personal community, eat all those things are true, right? And so why I want you to think of when you think of your child as a person, is that your child being a person, it means that he or she is alive. I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, Lance, that's, that's pretty profound. I $49.99 for, for that. Um, here's what I mean. <laughs> uh, here's what I mean by that, okay? If if our children are alive, right, if they're alive, and they have these qualities because they're alive, we should treat them as they are alive. Okay, and so let's take a look at the scriptures. <clears throat> see this story um, in the book of John. Peter let's rewind a little more. They're in the upper room, right? They're in the upper room and Christ is talking, them, talking to them about the, the disciples about the things that are to come, right? And during this time, he's like, "Jews, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me when the rooster crows. And they're all taken aback by this, right? Well, as is in Christ's fashion, everything he says comes true, right? And so we fast forward, the crucifixions happen, he's beginning to appear to the disciples, and we come to John 21, 3 through 17, okay? Um, some of you will turn there. Um, can't will tell you I'm not, uh, I'm not an emotional person uh, when it comes to uh, things of this nature. But can't tell you, I to have a very soft spot for Peter and a very very soft spot for redemption in the story of Peter and, and the book of John because of what happens there. So I'm going to ask for your alls help here a little bit. Um, are you there, John? Yeah. Do you mind reading John 21, 3 through 17? And whenever you read this, I, I want you all to think of this idea that my child is alive. And because they're alive, I need to give them living ideas, living truths. So go ahead.
2: Simon Peter said to them I'm going fishing they said to him we will also come with you they went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing and when the day was now breaking Jesus stood on the beach yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus so Jesus said to them children you do not have any fish do you they answered him no and he said to them cast the net on the right right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch so they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it, "It's the Lord." So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came into the in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about one hundred yards away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish which you have now caught." Simon Peter said, or went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? Said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus
1: said to him, Tend my sheep. So we hear that story of Peter, and we know what is led up to it. Right? We walk through the book of John as a church. Do you hear the living story there? How many fish did they catch? Where were they at? There's a fire burning. We see three times Christ asks Peter this question three times peter had denied christ when god brings us the living word and we see just one example of this and in john 21 we see many more throughout scripture is that he doesn't present us his truths that are dead right he doesn't present us facts or information right he presents us the living word of god and it is very visceral it is alive it is powerful sharper. two-edged sword. You think about our New Testament scriptures. We even see referred to if I've heard J.B. say once if I've heard him say a hundred times, talk about hey, no mother's milk when he saw the food. You hear the language there? You hear the language? It, it's visceral. It's actually it's a boxer beating the air. We've heard that. Uh, just, I just I mentioned Hebrews, talked about as a sword, right? All these things are visceral. They bring up images into your mind. If you can't read the story of Peter and see how God uses Peter and it become alive to you, you got to check your pulse, right? Our children get this. Because God created our children alive, they don't just have these qualities. God wired them that way. Our responsibility as parents is that if we know that our children are alive. We see them as living creatures. We have to not kill God's living work. So whenever I present them something, I don't just present it, point one, point two, I don't present it, point one, point one, <laughs> point two, right? I give it to them alive, and the question is, what does that look like, right, because as parents, I know we're, sometimes we're almost critics. Like, well, Smith and I were talking about how God sees everything, he's He's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and all of a sudden, he said, hey, dad, you know no, like chicken poop on the porch again, like, okay, that fell flat, said, no, 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 it's alive, right, we're going to feed to him alive. And so I want to show you how we do that. On a separate point, and this is, this is my ADD kicking in, right? I can see a rabbit hole and turn it into a whole burrow of rabbits. But this is the whole central story of Scripture, right? You can't come to Stillwater Bible Church without talking about faith and salvation and eternal life. But if you'll notice the language here that I put up, then Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. He created man to live. Right? Lowercase l here. Maybe we go on and we see what Christ did. The narrative started. The narrative began. Right? Genesis. He began the written narrative with that truth. Life in the man. Book of John, we see Christ bring that to fruition. But not just a life. Lowercase l. We talk about as eternal life here at SBC, right? And him was life, and life was a lot of men. So whoever believes in him, or believes will in him have eternal life. It, it, if you don't believe that your children is, your children are alive, your child is alive, and that there's implications for that eternally, then don't look at these scriptures here, right? It, it shows that Christ came to bring them life, a life eternal. And in those... Living quality as Christ as God sees them as an image, we have to bring them that central living idea. All of scripture test, testifies to that. God gave man life, Christ can't be guaranteed that we may have life eternal. And so now we're going to move to the specifics. Hunter, I don't have any idea I'm doing. Time. Okay. okay. Um, Heath said he just needs five minutes, so good.
0: <laughs> so here, here's a quote by Henry now. Uh, here now it says, real discipline never remains
1: vague or general. It is concrete and specific as daily life itself. I'm a firm believer if we talk about things generally, we live generally, right? If we, if we, if we deal with things kind of in, in um, rhetorical ways, we live rhetorically, right? And so what we're gonna do for these next little bit is we're gonna look at that, If I see if I see my child as a person, if I see them as an image, if I see them as a temple, what does that look like? Glance, give me a framework so whenever Pike is not happy about something, what, how does a temple, how do I handle him as a temple? How do I handle him as a person? How do I handle him as an image? So we're going to answer the question is, how do I treat my child with dignity, knowing that they're an image, knowing they're a temple, knowing they're a person? And so the first thing i to talk about is we must feed the person with the living word. We must give the image something worthy to imitate, and we must adorn the temple with the day of God. And we're going to talk about all these things and get get pretty specific. Of course, we'll talk about the day. it's great. So many of you recognize these scriptures because we talked about them in SBC. Jeremiah 15 16. This is the idea that God's word is alive. Jeremiah says, oh, your word was found, and I ate it. It became a joy and delight to my heart. I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. All right? Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You guys heard me talk about this earlier. Separating um, soul from spirit, bone from the marrow, discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart and we'll talk about Deuteronomy 6438 here in a little bit. So, if my child is alive and I need to present them um, as a person living ideas, Lance, show me show me what that looks like. So, I'll move real quickly through this. Um, but my two-year-old, you're thinking, okay, my two-year-old, many of you know Eleanor, um, when you get the BB out of her mouth, she likes to talk, right? <laughs> Lovely little thing. Um, but I'm not going to go talk to Eleanor about the dispensations, right? I'm not even going to go tell her the story from a Peter beginning to end. So when I think of my child from zero to two years of age, you want to have children zero to two years of age in here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Zero to two. <laughs> what we once. Uh, I had that wings) <laughs> 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 uh, beard and tubes. You you have them as long as you have them, right? Their attention, right? So I, I don't have a I don't have a three part story that I would tell Scott. We're not going to sit down and look, talk about Lord of the Rings, right? But <laughs> what I want what I want you to think about is in terms of a peg. So whenever I, whenever all my little ones when they were newborn, I set them on my lap. Kami sets them on their lap, on her lap. They sit there we have a book in front of us, right? We're happy, we're joyful, we're talking back and forth about nonsense type things, right? They're feeding off my emotion of joy, love, and happiness. At the same time, what do I have in my hand? I said, David, Jesus, yeah, Jesus came, he died on the cross for my eternal life, the faith, in it." I talked about these things, and he talks about this, this is the point where they're catching things. Right? We are planting the peg that the living word of God should be associated with things like mom, dad, love, joy, happiness, right? They're catching all those things, they're absorbing it. They might echo back Bible, David, they might echo back other things. I'm not sure where they got from. But we're planting those pegs. Now, this this looks totally different with a five year old, right? I mean, Brandy can tell you this five year olds looks a lot different. But with Smith, my five year old, I'm thinking. Remember prudence. Take mm-hmm. this with a grain of salt. Peg. Eleanor, I put that peg in. Love, God's word. Parent, God's word. Put in that peg that you associate these things. right? right. Now with my five-year-old with Smith Woden, I've been planting other pegs. Alright? And so I get to the story of Judah and Tamar scripture. Alright? And those of you who know the story that are thinking, where's he going with this, because it's pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with Smith Woden, I don't say, yeah, Smith, there's this guy named Judah in Genesis 38, God tells us about it, and boy, he, uh, he did some bad things. He, I don't talk about the son of Judah spilling his seed and not getting Tamar pregnant. Like, I don't talk about those things with my five-year-old, right? It, that would not necessarily be wise or prudent depending on where your five year olds at I guess but what I do say is as I say I give him pegs right I said Judah Judah that's where the line of Christ comes from son and Judah did disobey and God had consequences for his disobedience but we do know that Judah is in the line of Christ and through his daughter in law they have a baby that baby's name was Perez. And Perez, Perez, is also in the line of Christ, and so I began connecting other pegs. But the first son of Judah, he was evil, and God struck him dead because whenever really we disobey, there is always consequences. And in his case, disobedience meant death. The other son, he made a bad choice, so he died also all right we were just talking about this beforehand our five-year-old six-year-olds they love this idea of death right and they prefer to kill the dog that we're trying to dissect and look at right so with smith i i treat him with dignity i treat him as a person i treat him as if he is alive and i give him the living word of god but i do it with prudence he has these pegs to go back to now with scout denny it's a different story scout She's nine years old, and I think we're having a conversation with the Barnes here a while back. But our our nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, eleven-year-olds, twelve-year-olds, when they go out into a secular world, um, it might blow our minds. He's going to talk about know the enemy, know know what's like on the ground for our children. But Scout Denny, from about nine to thirteen, you know, let's just be specific here, right? We're moving from the general specific. Uh, things like sexual immorality, homosexuality. Um, terms like um, sex, premarital sex, those those terms are PG rated in the secular world. The world that she would be introduced to if I didn't treat her as a temple and image, and as being alive, it devour, devour. So what she would be exposed to is terms like blowjob, anal sex. I can't wait for him to get me pregnant. The the raunchiest and dirtiest things you can think of this doesn't happen whenever she's 20 years old right this doesn't happen when she's saying, this happens now it's happening now and so if I'm going to exp- if the world's going to expose her to those things I've had to prepare her with the living word of God give her a lens to decipher all that, all that joke, all that bogus information and I'll tell you what, the story of Judah and Tamar does a really good job of that. So I tell her the narrative. I actually tell her the narrative from beginning to end. And I read it to her. And we have dialogue about this. And I facilitate that dialogue. All right? I talk about the two sons who were struck dead. And I tell why they were struck dead. I say, because the one son spilt his semen on the ground, and he didn't, he didn't have the children for the brother that died. And God commanded him commanded them to have those children to continue that lineage he didn't do it and Judah guess what Judah did Judah he sees his youngest son who's much younger than the rest of them and he says God keeps killing my sons you know what I'll tell Tamar I said Tamar go back to your old home all right live with your father for a while when my youngest son is older I'll let you I'll let you marry him and then you'll have children and, and we'll obey God that way Tamar waits around um, she sees the son's older, he doesn't give the younger son to her, right, to continue his line. So what she does is she takes off her morning garments, right? She goes and she covers her face and she sits by the road and she poses as a prostitute. She's going to have sex with somebody. She'll pose with someone who has sex for money, right? I know you guys' eyes are getting big. It's like, this is Scott Dane, this is your nine-year-old, just hang with me. And she'll do that for money. Well, here comes Judah. And Judah thinks, well, my wife's dead now. And I was going to go shear my sheep. But, you know, on the way to shear my sheep, this sounds like a good idea. I'll sleep with that prostitute. Well, Tamar is that prostitute. She and Tamar have sex and they have a baby. They actually have two babies. And one of those is Perez, who's in the line of Christ. Well, three months pass and... Judah, he goes back to the place where the prostitute was. He's like, hey, um, I was going to give her an animal for sleeping with me, um, but she's not here. And I gave her a signet ring. I gave her a cane or my staff. And there's one other thing, a seal maybe? A seal. She has all three of those things. This prostitute does, and now she's gone. Well, leave the goat. We'll say we did our due diligence. Let's go back home. So scouts listen to these things, right? She's taking it all in. Well Scout, she's she's listening. She's not interrupting, because it's a pretty entertaining story. Okay. Much like you guys, great huh? <laughs> And so three months pass and the servant comes up, comes up to Judah and says, uh, Judah, your daughter in law? She's pregnant. Judah becomes furious. He's ready to kill Tamar for what she has done. So they go fetch Tamar. And whenever Tamar comes up, Scout, she's holding three things. You know those three things she's holding? she's pretty sharp she's going to name the three things and Judah like, oh I have sinned before God man I have goofed up right they end up having the babies here comes Perez Perez and his wife are going to beget and beget and beget and Christ comes from that line do you hear the living story in that I mean even as you all engage the story with me There's some pretty vivid things there, right, that capture your imagination. Scout Denny, through my teaching and efforts, she is going to work through those things based upon the living Word of God. What she didn't do is she didn't come across her 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old friend that's already went through puberty, right, and ready to have babies, and has the older sibling, and they get to talk about who they can get pregnant by. Her peers do not facilitate, they do not decide, they do not equip. As parents, seeing our children as living <laughs> beings, we give them the living word of God and we help them discern with wisdom and understanding what to do with it. Now your 16 year old, that's thats another story entirely and we'll talk about this a little bit too, what does it look like with a 16 year old? So I'm gonna move quickly here because we need to be wrapping this up, sorry. The last, thing I want to, uh, last two things I want to talk about is obviously the imitation, Imitation and the tipple, okay? Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, we're not gonna read this, but in Proverbs 1 through 7, it talks about several different things. It talks about uh, wise behavior, talks about prudence, knowledge, and discretion, uh, hearing an increase in knowledge and understanding the wise and their skills. And the reason why I want to point this out is because as parents, a lot of times, we feel like we need to dumb things down, right, or to oversimplify it. As much as I love the beginning Bible books that our children get, we might hand our 13-year-old or 12-year-old the beginner's Bible and read it to them. Or we might tell them the five-year-old version of what they need to hear really at a 16-level version, right? Hunter can attest to this. They come in. It's like, "Oh, you've already been exposed to these things. I don't have the scripture really to, you don't have the scripture yet. You're not equipped to deal with it. And so, what I want to talk about here is, if our children are images, we must give them something to imitate, and Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 is is excellent, because imitation always goes through the understanding that I should fear God. Fear, another word we can unpack, but reverence, this idea of awe or wonder, basically God's in his rightful place. Going back to our David illustration, right? And so, the question that we want to ask ourselves is what are we giving our children to imitate what is it today write it down what is something today that you give your child to imitate that's like man that is that is the best right and that's what we're talking about if our child is an image they're made in the image of the triune god father son and holy spirit i need to give them the best right. They think, well, I give them the word of God. Remember, no, we're working specifics. Saying I'll give them the word of God, it's not enough for us. That's why you're, we're here, right? Real, real discipline is not vague or general. It's a concrete and specific as daily life stuff. So, if I'm going to say I will give my child the best, what is the very best? What is the very best? You're living out those living words
0: you've shared
1: with them, and be specific.
2: Take your your study time important. They see
1: you serving others that need serve in love. Good, actions. good. So <coughs> we, take, we take the I'm back of myself in a cor- corner here because I guess spell the word visceral. We give the visceral word right, and we incarnate. We live it right. The application. The application. Right. But here's here's what I wanna here's what I wanna challenge you all with. Is this this can't happen generally. This can't just say, we'll get together and we'll hang out, and this is what you know the kids will catch what true fellowship looks like. No, this has to be specific. You have to have a plan, you have to have a purpose in why you're doing it. Smith will not catch male masculinity and everything that means because he helps me gut a deer. Right? He'll learn some wonderful things there, right? Well, it looks like to be a man. But you have to have a plan. So here's, here's here's my suggestion, right? And this is based upon people much wiser than me. But you give them the very best what? What do you give them the very best of? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking through
2: that. Like your work ethic? Yeah. I was just coming up with character flaws. Yeah. yeah. Like truthfulness, mm-hmm. good okay. honesty, yeah, you know, service, good, good. Not like hers, hardworking, mm-hmm. good, you know, loving kindness, dependable. Yeah. Okay,
1: you okay, know, stop there. So, we hear those phrases, right? We hear those phrases, and, it's, and we got to get specific, right? We hear loving, Lord's loving kindness and deeds never ceases compassion never failed, they newer, more great. So, I, whenever you all think of JB is a good sport. When you think of JB and you see his life in action, right? And you think of, ah, this is JB. Give me a word.
0: Discipline. Faithlow.
1: Discipline. Faithless. You see how it's a no-brainer? But we see that because it is incarnate. It's applied, right? And each of you in your own way is saying, Ah, here's how I see JB doing that. Right? It can be if he is walking from his office to here. He's doing it, he is doing it With purpose. St- purpose, right? <laughs> I mean, he is, he's elbows deep in everything he does, right? <laughs> Hard work. And so here's my point. If this is true, and we believe they're an image, Genesis 1, and we believe that it's, it's our obligation to give them something to imitate, it has to be the very best work, it has to be the very best truth, it has to be the very best service, it has to be the very best education, it has to be the very best peers, it has to be the very best films, the very best books, and somebody's saying, it just sounds like you're going to wear us out, right? Prudence, right? It it is a hard issue, always a hard issue whenever I see my (coughs) child and I see them as an image, I got to think, what is it that I'm giving them to imitate that is the best, right? What is it that I'm giving them that is good, is true, and beautiful to imitate? And as you analyze these things, you begin to write it down. I came out not have done this. <laughs> we give best or truth, right? Best or truth. <clears throat> and we give, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Can we not consider me- mediocrity in the world we live in as not good enough? All right? And this is just our personal conviction, right? So I'm not trying to convince you of anything there. But... We put mediocrity over here, and we begin making a list. This is getting specific, right? This is getting concrete. This is what it looks like to grind it out as parents, who are actually carrying this out specifically in discipline. You make a list, challenge you to do it. Because what you'll see is you will surprise yourself on some of the best stuff you're giving them. It's like, oh, we're, we're nailing this. In other ways, you're going to be like, ooh, ooh, we got we to gotta do something about that. This is not a heavy yoke. I'm giving you, right? It's just things to discipline yourself and look at in ways that you can work on. The last thing I want to talk about is if I see my child as a temple, and we see this that idea um, when we read uh, about the temple, is this idea of adorning the temple with specific, right? The things that are beautiful and wonderful. What does that look like, right? If I see them as a temple, the place the Holy Spirit is Spirit residing in, we talked about a little bit, hygiene, language, um, activity, right. We're adorning their, them as a temple to house that holy of holies. I want I want to read Ephesians six four over you because this is where we get the term Padea. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and educate uh, discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The idea of discipline there, that padea, right? When whenever you think of um, when this is written, you think of discipline. Don't don't think of it in terms of uh, Smith keeps transgressing, so I have to discipline him, right? Discipline here is as I walk into a Greek home; <coughs> it's Greek food on the table, it's Greek decorations. My parents are speaking Greek. I walk out that door and I go into the culture, and everything's Greek. I'm immersed in the padea of that culture, right? And so, if we think of we think of this word discipline here, is oh, I'm supposed to treat my child that way? Like what does that look like with the written word of God? They are the padea. Treat them in this idea of padea. I've got well Deuteronomy six, four through eight, right? We, we see this one: Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your um, heart, soul, and mind. These things which I'm teaching today, you should teach diligently to your children. And here's the part I want to emphasize: When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the way, and whenever you sit at home, you hear what it covered there. That's a foot walking in a chair, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing outside. There's, there's, there's nothing outside. I won't say that. Nothing is exception to God's influence and His obedience. So whenever your child is in the world, up, down, home, out, they have to see it through the lens of the living, living Word of God, right? He goes on to say, hey, actually, you're going to write this as frontals upon your hands and signs upon your forehead. He said, you're going to be covered in it. Now, that doesn't mean each of us are going to have a box in our home and our door posed with scripture in it. It doesn't mean we're going to have tattoos on our but you get the idea of prudence here that the word of God influences every aspect of our life and we have to adorn our children with that. Um, Mr. Davis is going to talk about this a more so I won't elaborate on it, but Two ways that we do this um, that provoke our children to anger is we strangle them with it and we starve them with it we don't give them enough or we use the word of god as a whip instead of a sword right we break their backs with the word of god instead of giving them alive and nourishing to their souls so just to just to summarize that summarize it all up we see our children as temples we see them as images we see them Um, as person and because they're a temple we adore them with the things that are beautiful Um, we see them as a person so we give them living ideas based upon the word of god and then we see them as um, an image so we must give them the best to imitate
0: thanks again for joining us for true to the bible podcast with hunter davis if you enjoyed this lesson Make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.